So this morning, um, I'm going to start off on a little bit of a personal note. I'm going to tell you something about myself. Um, I didn't know which verb to use, whether I should say this as a confession or um, share something. You know, I got something I got to share with you. Uh, but it's probably more of a warning is probably better. So here's the warning. Are you ready? Warning. I am a sucker for love songs. I'm a sucker for a good love song. In fact, I'm a sucker for silly songs, love songs. Doesn't matter. Cheap ones. <laughs> I don't know if these things do anything for you. I love them. Paul McCartney and Wings. Anybody recognize it? Come on, raise your hand. You recognize it? All right, all right, come on. If you do, you're of a certain age, right? But Paul McCartney wrote this in retaliation of people who said, ah, the world's full of silly love songs. Let's just stop it, okay? So he did this. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, although I love singing. <laughs> Anybody tapping their foot other than me? So then Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, you know what song they sang? They, saw, they sang about the strength of love, that it would give us a motivation that would cause us to do superhuman things. Am I right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dance party at the Parma's Friday. Come on. Karaoke. <laughs> yes, karaoke. Although, we go a little more modern. Got Chris Stapleton telling us the value of love. That it's not just cheesy and all this, that it's it's worth something, right? Love. More precious than gold. not silence. <laughs> I think James Taylor wrapped it up best, and he's one of my favorites. He says, I'll let him say it. Love is the finest thing around. There ain't no one doubt it. Am I right? Is he right? He's right. All right, so I'm going to turn this off. We're done with that. <laughs> or are we? <laughs> All right, so to be certain, love songs are sappy, silly, sentimental. Oh, now I hear it. Um, excited expressions of emotion, right? That's what they are. But, but they do show, I think, one of the many, many ways that everything we do Everything reflects the image of God. Everything every person ever does reflects the image of God in one form or fashion or another. I don't care if you're talking Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini. Uh, again, that shows my age, right? But, uh, <laughs> you know, the worst mass murder, the, the, the worst driver, the worst boss you've ever had, even at their worst, they are reflecting the image of God in some form or fashion. Broken smeared with mud, you know, distasteful, 
But we're set apart from the animal kingdom. We are different because we were made in God's image, right? So everything we do. Um, did y'all notice the love stamp on there, right? That was done in, like in the 60s. And it was done by uh, Robert Indiana. And, and he got that inspiration for that because where he was going to church, up above the, where the pastor stood, it just had that simple First John phrase, God is love. And so when you see that, you know, people flock to that, that there's a statue or a sculpture of that in Philadelphia. People flock there to uh, get engaged, to get married, to do all sorts of things. Um, and the inspiration of that was simply First John 4, God is love, where we hear that several times in those scriptures. Um, so as we love others, not just the objects of romantic love, but as we love anyone and everyone, we reflect the image of God. We played just a few clips of some silly love songs, but there's truth in every one of those that I played. Now, some I didn't play that were a little looser with the truth. But Jesus going to the cross took an infinitely more amount of strength than crossing the widest river or climbing the highest mountain or the deepest valley, right? But it was his love for the Father and his love for us that, that was the motivating factor for him to do that, right? Uh, having the love of community around us is more precious than gold. It's worth a big fat bank account or worth more, infinitely more than a big fat bank account or fame and everything else, right? Um, and, and certainly when James Taylor says that love's the finest thing around, you know, he didn't know he was quoting Jesus who said the greatest commandment is to love God, right, and love others. So he didn't necessarily, maybe he did know that, I don't know. But um, so it is the very finest thing around. And they, they do have truth in those songs. Um, and yes, love is a reflection of God. And when God's people, you and I, love people and do it well, we reflect his image very well, right? So let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people, to sing songs, Lord, to you, about you, for you, um, to rub elbows with these, your people, and to open up your word. Father, would you help us as we consider love this morning for just a little while? Would you help us leave this place with just a little bit more, um, I guess, of our will inclined to love this week? In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started off with a question from Pilate. Do you all remember that question, those of you who were here? No, Gabe certainly knows it. What is truth, right? What is truth? Pilate just came out and asked it. What is truth? We explored that a little bit. This week, I'm going to start off with what is love? And I looked up some definitions, right? I mean, certainly these songs would incline you to think it's a feeling, right? It's nothing but a feeling. And if you, you know, feel, feel the love, then great, we're happy. If I don't feel the love, then we're not so happy. Um, but by definition, I looked this up in several pop psychology. I didn't get real deep into it, but it's a pov positive or affirmative thoughts and feelings towards another with a deep sense of care and commitment towards them. So it's 
thoughts, feelings, care, commitment. Those are kind of the key words. And those things are what define love, right? It's part mental, part willful, and part emotion, right? Um, now, I've, we've been married for pushing 40 years now, and we have said over and over and over and over that love is a commitment. And that's certainly the foundational truth of love, right? It is a commitment. Jesus was committed to going to the cross on our behalf, right? Um, we are committed to each other. It's a commitment, um, right? But it, but it does have some feelings that go along with it, right? Um, so how, how close does this definition loosely or, you know, fit the scripture? Uh, if you would, turn to Luke 19 this morning. Uh, and James Dobson, by the way, wrote a book, and he's kind of out of vogue maybe in circles these days, but I still like him. He's a good guy. Um, he wrote a book. I don't know if y'all have heard of it, but uh, I think it's called uh, Emotions. Can you trust them? And he's exploring that a little bit, you know, because we get angry. Well, that's just an emotion. We feel like we're in love, and it's just an emotion. you got to check those things, right? Um, so in Luke 19, verses 41 through 44, I know y'all know this, this scripture. Luke 19, 41 through 44, we get a little glimpse of the love that Jesus had for his people. <clears throat> it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Wouldn't that you, even you had known on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem, knowing what is about to befall it, wishing, wishing, hoping, wanting them to follow him, right? To recognize him for who he is. That was his will. That was his emotion, right? That he wanted that, and yet he knew it wasn't going to happen, and it, and it broke his heart. Love can break our heart. And I didn't put Nazareth's Love Hurts in this list right here, but that is a great song because love makes you vulnerable. Jesus was vulnerable with his disciples when he was going towards the city of Jerusalem. He let them in to see a little peek of his heart of how he was hurting for his people, how much he longed for them to come to him, right? So love opens, ourselves, opens up our hearts for, for pain. First um, John 4, First <clears throat> John 4, First uh, John 4, 9 through 10 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is obviously just you know another way of repeating John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world he loved the world. Well, how do we know he loved the world? Because we see his commitment to the world 
in his giving of his son, right? The fact that Jesus came and willingly gave himself as a sacrifice for us is his commitment to us. It's his action. Love requires action, right? You can't say I love somebody and have these warm feelings, but I'm going to do what I want to do every, every day, all day, because I just am, right? Uh, love requires action, it's a commitment, it requires action, and God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, right? So love, is there any doubt about how much God loves us? None, right? You wouldn't be here if you had any doubt about how much God loves you. Now, I will say, I've known some people who've gone through some pain and they wonder, does God really love me? Um, and that's a fair question to ask. But if your theology is right and, and the hardness of life, the, the, the harsh realities of living in this world isn't known to you and it comes as a surprise to you when something bad happens to you, even though it's happened to billions of people ever since we've stepped foot on this planet, um, if that comes as a surprise to you, you might be shaken by it, right? But, but the world is full of pain and misery and sorrow. We've talked about that over and over. I, own, I, I could have quoted some Jordan Peterson you know, that you mentioned last week. He does a great job of laying out the harsh realities of life, and that shouldn't surprise us. But, but so God is love, and he loves us unendingly to the ends of the world enough so that he you know, came and died for us, right? Um, Additionally, though, I would ask, is there any doubt about how much we are to love? Is there any doubt that our primary motivation is supposed to be love in everything we do? I mean, you think about, there are all kinds of things you've got to do in life, right? I've got to get up and go to work and yada, 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 right? Got to go to the grocery store and fix meals and, and need to be a parent to my kids and a spouse to my spouse and a son to my mother and sibling you know all these things we've got to be but the basic motivation for all of that is supposed to be love right we'll repeat and, and I don't even have this I didn't even you know get the actual verses but we've said it thousands of times what is the first commandment love God with all your heart soul mind and strength right and every, when Jesus was asked that Immediately, comma, he doesn't put a period, he says comma, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the basic motivating factor of our life. I'm sorry, that's supposed to be the basic motivating factor of my life. Um, And so we think about that, and the impetus for us is to be neighbors. Uh, Oh, so when Jesus said that and talked about loving Loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Somebody asked him a question, right? You remember that? Well, who's my neighbor? It's, it's a lot like the what is truth. It's a deflection, right? It's a philosophical question that says, oh, well, yeah, sure, I'd love my neighbor, but uh, my neighbor, he's hard. Or, or I live next to my mom and my brother. Oh, it's easy, not a problem, right? Or maybe that's even harder than the others, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, look at the family members we have in here, right? Um, but the impetus is for us, not the, the real answer to that question isn't who's my neighbor. The, the answer, if you remember the parable, was who was neighborly. It wasn't who's my neighbor. We're all neighbors of each other. The real answer to the who's my neighbor is you're to be neighborly. 
I'm to be neighborly. We're to be neighborly, right? That's the answer to the question of who is my neighbor. So the impetus is for us to be neighbors, to love those with whom we come in contact with, right? Um, we have all these one another verses and each other verses in Scripture, right? And they are, you know, predominantly talking about us in the body, right? But if we just read through those uh, attitudes and actions, I, I made a list of them. Um, we're to be accepting, admonishing, instructive, joyful, kind, agreeable. We're to bear with each other. We're to be long-suffering. We're to build each other up. Loving. We're to be loving, merciful. We're to carry each other's burdens. We're to be compassionate, patient, confessing to one another, peaceable, faithful, praying, self-controlled, forgiving, gentle. We're to serve each other. We're to be good to one another. We're to spur on one another. We're to live in harmony. We're to be submissive to one another. And, and that's not, you know, a hierarchy necessarily. That's everybody to be submissive to everybody. We're to honor each other. We're to teach each other. We're to sing psalms and hymns to each other. We're to be hospitable, tender-hearted. We're to have humility. We're to be humble. We're to be non-judgmental. Foundation of every one of those is love. If I love you, and certainly if I feel that emotion that comes along with it, it's going to be easier for me to be these things to you, right? Um, there's, a, there's a lot of verses in there, but um, turn to Romans 15. Just going to read a few verses there. Romans 15. Romans 15, verses 1 through 4. Oh, I, I have a note here. If y'all remember this, we did this visual theology. Um, there's a great little graphic in there. I was going to put it up here, but didn't. Are there some back there? Okay. Uh, if you don't, I mean, you're welcome to, so you can, well, you can't have this one. It's Paula's. <laughs> I saw her notes in it. <laughs> um, but these are circles of all the one another's and each other's. And, you know, it's color-coded and sized according to how many times it's mentioned. You know, encourage is the biggest one, by the way. That's kind of interesting. Uh, be humble, greet one another with a holy kiss. Matthew's going to teach on that, I think, pretty soon. He said something about that. <laughs> um, but in Romans 15, verses 1 through 4, we read, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And I'll stop here and talk about this. This is part of a bigger chunk of scripture that talks about not being a stumbling block to those who are weaker and younger in the faith and all that and eating meat to idols and, and that sort of a thing. But, but, but that's the bigger picture, but this can still stand alone in what it's telling us. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So that phrase, the reproach 
of those who reproached you fell on me is a quote from Psalm 69, and I'll read a few verses around that. It says, for, for it is for your sake, and, and this is one of those cry, cry, crying psalms where the psalmist is uh, feeling the pain of being um, scorned and put upon and, and slighted and, and all these things. Um, you know, I'll just read a few verses. It says, for it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. You've heard that before, right? When Jesus quoted that. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. Now this is, this is what Jesus did when he became sin for us, right? The reproaches of those who reproached you, God, fell upon me. Jesus became that sin. He became that reproach, right, of every one of us who have ever sinned and all of our sins, right? But Paul's saying in Romans that love should constrain us to take the fall, suffer the harm, right, accept the reproach. I think that's what he's saying to us. You could disagree with me, but it looks like he's telling us that in, in the face of a weaker brother, you take the high road, right? You don't have to prove your point. You don't have to beat them over the head. And, you know, and I've, I mean, I've struggled with that. Well, like if they don't, you know, if people in the church don't like this, maybe it's time for them to grow up a little bit, right? And, okay, that's one approach. <laughs> it's not the Jesus approach, because our motivating factor is what? Love. Um, so it's a reflection of Jesus becoming sin when we bear up under the burden of bearing the reproach. It's a, as opposed to fighting for our rights, fighting to be heard, fighting to be first, rather than pushing your way through the crowd, it's the way of meekness, gentleness, goodness, kindness, right? It's service, <laughs> I have trouble saying that, it is service over showing yourself to be right. You know, and arguments tend to be about who's right, but it's funny. If I'm right, I'm still right. Whether I can persuade you to my being right or not, I'm still right. So why do I have to beat you over the head with it, right? Why do I have to prove my point? It's a pride thing rather than a love thing. And so God calls us to love, not pride. Now, certainly, since we just talked about Jesus, um, he was... He was all about truth, right? He was truth. We learned last week he was the truth. Well, hopefully you knew it longer before that, but we were reminded last week that Jesus is the truth, and he certainly spoke truth, but he spoke it in love, right? I mean, think about any time you saw him expressing an emotion of anger or something like that, it was to the religious hypocrites, the religious leader hypocrites, and, you know, I don't know what the money changers were. I presume they had some some sort of authority to be in there doing that, right? They had power. Um, those are the people Jesus got mad with. The, the, the woman at the well, you know, the woman caught in adultery, the woman who touched his garment, you know, all these people. He spoke truth to them over and over, right? They were shocked by the truth he spoke to them. But how did he deliver it? With love, right? Every time. Love, love, every time. Um, Speaking of the 1600s, Matthew, uh, Matthew Henry said uh, in his 
comment on Romans 15. He said, we must please our neighbor for the good of his soul, not by serving his wicked will. So, you know, we're going to be truthful and honest with him, but, but we're, going to, we're still going to serve our neighbor. We're not going to humor him in a, you know, not humoring him in a sinful way. If we thus seek to please men, we are not servants of Christ. Christ's whole life was self-denying, self-displeasing life. And he is the most advanced Christian who is the most conformed to this image of Christ. So, you know, just a by note, serving your family, serving your brothers and sisters isn't always giving them what they want, right? But it is having that attitude of you want to give them what they want. Now, if what they want is cocaine, we're not going to give it to them, right? If what they want is bad for them, we're not going to give it to them. We're not going to enable their sin, but we want to. That's the attitude of service. It's I want, I wish, darling, that I could give you everything you want, but it's not healthy to have everything you want. It's not healthy to have every new toy that comes out on the market. It's just not healthy. Um, so serving them is not giving them everything they want, but purposefully giving them what they need and maybe some of what they want. Um, do you recall after Jesus' resurrection, he meets, with, he meets with the disciples and he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him that how many times? Three times, right? He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter gets exasperated. Lord, you know I love you. And what's Jesus' answer? Feed my sheep. Jesus, after his resurrection, is still, still, so in love with us that his command to Peter, his reminder to Peter was, I'm going away. You guys have got to take your responsibility serious and feed my sheep. Now, we're not all feeders of sheep under shepherds. Thank you, Matthew, for your service. But we do all have responsibilities, right? Whatever that is, it, and I gave you a list of some of them, praying, right, uh, admonishing, showing kindness, carrying each other's burdens. These are all things every one of us is responsible for in this body of believers. Every one of us is responsible for every one of these things. And Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. And I think by extension he tells us, pick up your responsibility in love and have these sorts of attitudes about you and love my people and love my people well. So, turning the corner, yes, in this community, we should be doing all these one another's and each other things for the greater good of the body of Christ. But what about outside the community of believers, right? So I'm just going to read a few verses here, things about Jesus and things that he said. Uh, in Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, remember this, he had compassion on them, right? Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, which I don't know about you guys, but uh, well, I do know about some of you guys feel harassed and helpless even today, but they were like sheep without a shepherd, right? So when you leave here and you, you know, run into people who aren't in a community of believers, they are sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus had compassion on them. And then in, in Luke, um, 
6, a couple of times, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he, speaking about God the Father, he also, well, he didn't say also, but he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know the old uh, proverb, it, it rains on the just and unjust, right? Uh, God gives his good things to everybody, and so should we. Um, but probably most, I guess, the biggest pull in, in my mind from this is in, is in Ephesians 2, right? Our, one of our favorite passages. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were enemies of his. We were dead. We were enemies of his. And yet, because of love, he came uh, and made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated, um, and he has seated us with him in heavenly places. Um, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's really the whole thing I wanted to say this morning, but I have some questions for you, right? Because you always should have some questions. So what does this look like? Right? What does this look like uh, if I am your drug-addicted neighbor or cousin? What does this look like? What does this look like if I'm your employee and I just don't have what it takes to do the job you've hired me to do? What does it look like if I'm the driver that nearly stops in the left lane of I-35 because I'm about to miss my exit? And I'm going to make that exit. Doesn't matter. What does it look like if that's me and you're you? What does it look like if I'm on the opposite side of the political spectrum and I just let your guy or girl have it? You know, in some of these things, like the employee, if I'm your employee and, I, and I'm doing poorly, you've got to balance some things out, right? Life is, life, is, life is black and white when it comes to love. I've got to love you, right? But if you're doing a poor job and you're affecting the company, I've got to love my other employees too. So it's not always real easy, right? But the motivating factor has to be love for both the employee who needs to be let go and the employees who are left behind and, um, you know, uh, for me, I, I, man, how did I not write that down? For me, what if, what if I'm the neighbor who has two loud barking dogs and I just let them out all the time? Drives me crazy. Um, li literally, that's probably the worst thing in my life uh, from, a, from a daily aggravational thing. Uh, uh, that and drivers. Um, but, but literally, really, I mean, how do we... How do we respond? 
You know, how, how do we respond to those sorts of things? Do you consider the person, you know, you, you, when something happens, we get emotions. That, that's a chemical reaction. God made our bodies that way. Our bodies are going to react with emotions. It's going to release chemicals in our bodies, and we're going to do something. We're going to fly into a rage. We're going to curse under our breath. We're going to, or maybe, maybe we have the uh, maturity to we're going to pray. We're going we're gonna to be reminded that we're all sinners. We're going to be reminded that we're all in places where we need help. We're going to be reminded that we're all people and we all mess up. And we're going to pray for them, right? Maybe we're going to be reminded that, man, I really need to learn to love people better. Those people who aren't like me, those people who grate me the wrong way. Maybe these things are all reminders or can be reminders of that, right? Um, one of the questions I have, you know, do you eviscerate them online? Hopefully not. Uh, do you treat them with scorn? Do you deride them? Do you judge them? Um, and, and you know the old thing, right? If I have finger, one finger pointing at you, I got three pointing back at me. Um, but here, here's probably the bigger question. Do you really, 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 really know and embrace the knowledge that you, you, you could have been a thief, a drug addict, a murderer, do you believe that? Do you believe that had things been different, you could have been the worst human you could imagine? I do. I believe that with all my heart because I've, I've seen the ugliness in my life. And if you don't believe that, I really think you should reevaluate yourself. We are all, I mean, think of what it what it took for you to be here right now, right here in this spot today all the things that had to line up just perfectly for you to be here so it's true in my life absolutely true and that's I think the biggest question and, and probably on a more day to day um, thing you know how easy is it for you to be angry versus loving bitter instead of kind and that sort of thing remember God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble what kind of attitude do you want to have reflecting God's image to you to your, I mean to your neighbors, to your family to your co-workers to the world that you accidentally bump into do you want the attitude of Christ who was self-denying you know we're called not to be uh, to be self, what is it, self-forgetful, right? That's probably the best way to say it, is just self-forgetful. Lord, there's an old, I don't know if it's a poem or probably a song, you know, others, Lord, others. I, I can't even quote it, but it's, it's like from the 1800s or something. It's, it's just about putting others first, right? Forgetting ourselves. Um, oh, there's the note about the barking dogs. I just somehow... Skipped right over it the first time. <laughs> um, so, in conclusion, uh, we might need to 
exercise ourselves, and I got those six fingers pointing at me, we might need to exercise ourselves in this endeavor by putting off negative thoughts and feelings when we are slighted or wronged, or in conscientiously taking up positive thoughts and feelings, affirmative commitment to other, the good of others. The call is to love those like Christ loves them, to love everyone like Christ loves them. And as I recall, Christ was put out by religious leaders and their kind time after time, but John Q. Public, who was just poor slob trying to make his way through this life like the rest of us, <laughs> Jesus had great compassion and great love for them. So the encouragement for you is to consider Jesus this week as the author and finisher, for, finisher of our faith if we've been translated into his kingdom and our kingdom is his kingdom, let's not get so caught up in, in this nut in front of me who shouldn't have gotten a driver's license and let's be Christ to the world around us. Let's reflect his image, right? Speak the truth when you 